Diabetes is the most common cause of kidney failure. And since diabetes is on the rise, it's no surprise that kidney failure is likewise on the rise. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Robert Stanton, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Stanton is both a scientist and clinical physician in his roles as principal investigator in the section on vascular cell biology and as the chief of nephrology at the Joslin Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Stanton. Thank you. Today we are discussing diabetic kidney disease. Dr. Stanton, what are the statistics on kidney disease in the United States? Well, the best way I like to describe this is that in 1992, I'd like to show a map of the United States, and this was based on the, because I think this is the most effective way to think about this, which was based from the United States Renal Data Survey, which is a group based in Michigan that keeps records of all patients on, with end-stage renal disease. So these are people either on dialysis or have received a kidney transplant. And in 1992, there's a lovely picture of the entire United States with some darkened areas in the Arizona region, the South Texas area, and up in the North Dakota, South Dakota area. And those areas are particularly high in end-stage renal disease patients because of the Hispanic population in the South Texas area. It has higher risks of diabetes. And the American Indian population, especially the Pima Indians in Arizona, have a very high rate of type 2 diabetes and a subsequent high rate of kidney disease. So the next slide I'd like to show is just 10 years later and tell people you were feeling calm and relaxed. It seems like it's isolated parts of this country that are associated with kidney disease. And 10 years later, the entire country is black. And within a year after that, it starts getting into what they start higher levels of rates of diabetes. Basically, what was happening is we're undergoing an epidemic of diabetes, I mean, of kidney disease. Why is that? Most of it is due to type 2 diabetes. What's interesting, though, is that it even started before the epidemic of diabetes began to take over. But there's a huge number of patients that are worsening kidney disease, ending up on dialysis, and it's happening worldwide. It's estimated that by 2025, basically the world leaders in end-stage renal disease, probably almost all due to diabetes, will be in China and India. And so it's a, becoming a huge major health care problem so that there'll be potentially millions of patients. It used to be that hypertension alone was the main cause of kidney disease with diabetes lower down the list, but diabetes now leads the way. And when you consider the fact that there are estimated 6 to 10 million people with type 2 diabetes that don't know that they have it, and that the fact prolonged glucose exposure can lead to damage of the organs in your body even before you're officially diagnosed with diabetes, you have a problem in huge numbers of people showing up with kidney disease potentially even before they originally are diagnosed. And you add problems of hypertension on top of that, and you have millions of people who have hypertension without knowing it, and you have a huge public health problem. Well, let me ask you a question. Is this an issue of detection of diabetics, or actually are the number of diabetics increasing? Both. The numbers of diabetic patients are increasing, 
and the ability to detect has become better and people are becoming more and more aware. I mean, the estimate of the undiagnosed is based just obviously on a guess on how many people are actually being diagnosed and looking at any population. And yet the thought is is that there are many patients in primary care practices that need to be screened for diabetes and for kidney disease that are not being appropriately screened at this time. But why is diabetes increasing in of itself? Well, the increase of diabetes is a really interesting question. (laughs) When I give talks, people like to go, they want to blame McDonald's or (laughs) Burger King or somebody. And it may be true, but I don't know if that's the case. There's a very interesting, and this is a kind of a sidelight study, but there's a growing field of what's called epigenetics out there. And whether or not how much this plays a role, I don't know. But epigenetics are the effects of environment or diet or whatever on our genes. A really interesting study was done on the a mouse called the agouti mouse, which is develops, becomes obese and diabetic. And this group about three or four years ago gave pregnant mothers a regular mouse diet and gave another pregnant group of mothers a special mouse diet. This happened to be high in particular groups of what are called methylators, but they affect gene regulation. When the children were born, the animals fed the standard mouse diet developed obesity and diabetes. When the mice were born from the mothers who had this special diet, they did not develop any obesity or diabetes. So the question becomes, how much of what's going on in our society is based on what we eat? How does it affect our genes? I don't know. And how much of this explosion in diabetes is based on some particular food stuff? It may not be McDonald's, though. Now, people have ascribed a lot to obesity, and that might be true, but then people like to point to the Chinese population where there's diabetes growing very rapidly, and yet obesity has not been particularly a big part of Chinese. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Robert Stanton, associate professor of medicine at the Harvard Medical School. Dr. Stanton is both a scientist and clinical physician in his roles as principal investigator in the section on vascular cell biology and as the chief of nephrology at the Jocelyn Clinic. Today we are discussing diabetic kidney disease. Dr. Stanton, Does kidney disease from diabetes always progress to renal failure? That's a very good question. The answer is it does not always progress. One of the sort of holy grails from the epidemiologic standpoint is trying to understand who with diabetes is actually going to get kidney disease. And the estimates vary from 20 to 50%, depending on whether it's type 1 or type 2 diabetes, of the number of patients actually going to develop kidney disease. And of those that develop kidney disease, maybe about half of them will progress to actual kidney failure. So it's not that everybody with diabetes develops kidney disease, and it's not that everybody who develops signs of kidney disease actually progresses. But what's very important is for doctors to realize how to even screen for kidney disease in the first place in order to at least see if their patients are in the category of people that might progress. How do you determine that? So there are two main things that people should be doing. One is measuring the GFR, and that's the glomerular filtration rate. 
the GFR is that we're born with is generally around 120 to 140 milliliters per minute. And as we get older, like everything else in life, it goes down. It's about one ml per minute per year. What most physicians are using to think that they're looking at GFR is the serum creatinine. And the serum creatinine, though, can mislead you dramatically in what the true GFR is. And the reason for that is just take the example of the age. If you saw a serum creatinine of one, which most physicians would consider normal, a serum creatinine of one in a 20-year-old might be a GFR of about 120. A serum creatinine of one in a 70-year-old might be a GFR of 50 or somewhere in there. And when you take into other factors about serum creatinine, which is that it's related to muscle mass and other aspects of things, you can be dramatically fooled by looking at creatinine alone. So many so-called normal creatinine values are actually hiding, in a sense, significant kidney problems if you don't calculate the GFR. Many laboratories now are actually calculating the GFR for you, but you can also go literally onto Google and put in equations. The most commonly used formula is called the MDRD formula, which came out of a large study where GFRs were directly measured. And it's a extremely important thing to do. At the Jocelyn and, at the, and other hospitals around the area, the labs will it'll calculate it directly for you now. And this will then lead you to appropriately treating people, right, and to recognize people with decreased GFRs. It turns out that what's called stage 3 kidney disease, which is GFRs of 60 or less, especially in diabetic patients, you start to see a dramatic increase in complications from diabetic kidney disease or kidney disease in general, which include anemia and hyperparathyroidism, which leads to bone damage. So it's very important to measure the GFR in understanding all of these factors of degree of kidney disease, the presence of kidney disease, drug dosing, reducing complications from dye studies, et cetera. The other test that's important to do is measuring the amount of protein or albumin in the urine. And the dipstick that most primary care doctors do is just a very rough estimate and does not measure the so-called microalbumin levels. We normally put out about 20 milligrams of albumin in 24 hours. And microalbumin levels, that is, albumin increases above that level, are very strongly associated with worsening cardiovascular disease and are somewhat associated with worsening kidney disease. When levels get above three or 400 milligrams, there's a much better association with the kidney disease. But levels in the 20 to 200, 300 range are definitely associated with worse cardiovascular disease. It's a dramatic effect on cardiovascular disease as such where that your chance of having ischemic heart disease or dying from heart disease goes up as your protein levels in the urine go up. You cannot screen that with a dipstick. The only way to know is to do what's called nephilometry, which every lab does, and it's to send off a spot urine. It's not a 24-hour urine. You just measure the albumin to creatinine ratio, and it gives you a pretty accurate estimate of albumin in the urine. Now, the clinicians who are listening might be asking, should they screen all of their diabetic patients using these two tests, the GFR and microalbumin? Absolutely. In fact, there are many, as quality measures, many places are looking 
that every diabetic should have a microalbumin done, and you should be looking at measure the serum creatinine and calculate the GFR. There's no question. The albuminuria issue, or both of these issues, are such that the JNC7, which is you know the government guidelines on hypertension, actually recommends that at least starting at age 40, that everybody gets a microalbumin at least once a year. Because if you find it, then it's like having a positive family history of heart disease. You would then presumably want to treat somebody more aggressively by lowering the pressure more, blood pressure, by changing diet, by changing weight, losing weight, etc. So these are very critical things to follow, and every primary care doctor should be measuring this routinely. I want to thank Dr. Robert Stanton, who has been our guest. We have been discussing diabetic kidney disease. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.